Welcome to the Grace at a Glance podcast from Grace Church of Linnets and Grace Creative. We are a Jesus church where the gospel is central, where we love Jesus, build people, and lead revival. Thanks for joining us. us you're dismissed now so you're welcome to go to your classes it's good to have you here with us the last uh, Sunday the fifth Sunday of the month so we praise God for your joining us and singing along with us this morning as the kids depart I wanted to start by telling you a sad story that'll make you laugh it uh, seems that there were three men at a company who were assigned by their boss to go to a convention. And uh, they had travel expenses, each of them had a travel expense. When they found out where the convention was going to be at this big city and uh, a convention center that sat near to a harbor, one of the guys came up with an idea and he said, wouldn't it be great if we pooled our expense accounts and our resources and we did something like special where we like rent like the presidential suite on the roof. And they found this hotel, it was 75 stories tall, and they had a presidential suite with four or five different rooms, a variety of Game Boys and and those kind of things that you could play video games on, a pool table, and right outside their door, up on that top floor, was a restaurant that was known to serve the best steaks in town. And so they did a little math and they realized that if they pooled their resources together, they could rent this place, and that would make the convention and their time at the convention a little less boring. So they went, they checked in on the day of the convention, they went off to their meetings at the convention center, all of them looking forward to getting back and getting that steak dinner at the top-level diner or um, restaurant up there, and then enjoying their space. Well, when they came back to the hotel, they... Uh, came to the elevators and there was a sign on the elevator that said, sorry, elevator's broken. Will probably not be fixed until midnight. So they went to the, to the lady at the desk and said, hey, isn't there any way, you know, like we're on the 75th, we're on the very top floor, the 75th floor. And she said, I'm sorry, the workers are here, they're doing everything they can, but they estimated it'll be midnight before it's open. So they had this dilemma. And uh, they decide that, you know, listen, Each of us has a specific gift that we're pretty good at. Their names were Bill, Bob, and Ben. And Bill said, you know, I'm a pretty good joke teller. So what if we did this? As we go up the first 25 steps, I'll just tell jokes. And that'll make the time go faster. Then when we get to the 26th floor, we'll have uh, Bob sing because he's known to be a great singer. And he'll sing and, and that'll get us through the next 25 stairs. And then Ben... You're the saddest storyteller in the world. Tell us the stories on the way up, and that'll make our time go faster. They all agreed that was a pretty good plan. They all were pretty good at at these things. So they started up, and uh, Bill started telling his jokes. And they laughed a lot. They all agreed that the joke he told on the 13th floor was the best one of the bunch. When they came to the 26th floor, um, Bob starts singing. And he's singing, and it's the, it's the stairwell, so there's good bounce, and he sounds like he does when he's in the shower. And even people coming down the stairs the other way are singing with him. 
It was a good experience, and before you know it, they're at the 51st floor, and it's time for Ben to tell his sad stories. So they stopped there for a minute, he got collected his thoughts, he said, all right, guys, I'm going to start with the saddest story of all. You are? Yeah, I'm going to start with the saddest story of all. I left the room key in the car. <laughs> well, anyhow, I told you it would be a sad story that would make you laugh. We're going to read a sad story in the Bible today that's going to bring you joy. And that's found here in Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17. Now, remember, in this series, we're in Luke 7 and chapter 17, where God tells, through the voice and pen of Luke, five stories to help us understand Jesus in a better way. And this is one of those stories, it's the second, it's a sad and actually a tragic story. And it has a wonderful ending, and it's placed here for us, because God wants us to know what Jesus is really like. Now we know that there's a lot of people in our world who kind of think Jesus is okay, they kind of like him, they're not so sure about the church, they kind of like Jesus. But the stories show us what Jesus is really like that we shouldn't underestimate him, and we shouldn't just take for granted that we know all about him. That's why these stories are here, to, in, to broaden our understandings of the heart and person and character of Christ. So we're going to read this story. It's a story that's tragic and sad, but it has a good end. So let's read it. Luke 7, 11 through 17. Soon afterward, Jesus went down to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the bier they were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared to us among us, they said, and God has come to help his people. And this news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Now as we dive into the story this morning, there's really four persons or groups of persons that we want to look at in order to better understand it. We're going to be first looking at God and his role in this story, and then we're going to look at the widow and her role, Jesus and his role, and finally the crowd and their role. So the story breaks into four parts, and we're going to start with the role of God in this story. Now, if you look carefully, you might say to me, Pastor, why are you including God in this? God doesn't show up anywhere in the story. No, 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 you're wrong. And I'm going to show you why you're wrong. God is all over the story. In fact, God orchestrates the story, and here's how we know that's true. There's a little passage at the beginning of the story, a little geographical mention that is really important to understand what is going on. Now, most of the time, if you read stories about geography you're not familiar with, it's like, ah, you know, you just kind of gloss over it and get to the real truth of the story. But in the Bible, when the stories mention geography, it's really critical. In fact, you'll increase your knowledge of the Bible and appreciation for all that God has done by just simply buying a Bible dictionary so you can look up 
where the things happen because they happen and are recorded for a specific reason. Geography matters to God. And it says here in the story that Jesus went to Nain. Now Nain is a backwater little town of 200 people off the beaten path. No one in their right mind would ever go there because it's so far off the beaten path. I mean, it's like Mannheim. Why would you... Uh, no, I'm sorry. Did that come out? <laughs> it's, it's not on the main roads you would travel. And then the story of Jesus, you'll find there's a lot of stories like this where Jesus leaves the main road and goes to a place that's nondescript, that's in the backwaters that nobody has ever heard about because God wants to do something there to teach us something about God. And so here in this passage, God has Jesus go to Nain. There is nothing in Nain except for about 200 people. And as the story shows us, no matter where you live and no matter how backwater you are, grief touches everyone. This is not about the fact that some can live places where there is no grief. The Bible says that mankind is born for trouble like fire, flames, and sparks that fly upward from a flame. So have you ever like made a fire and you hear that good crackling sound and then the smoke comes up and it follows you around the ring no matter where you sit? But it crackles, right? And then what happens? The Little pieces of flame and little pieces of wood, you know, they just fly upward. And the basic idea is what? There's not a person on planet Earth who is free from trouble. All of us are in it. We're all in it together. And no matter where you're at, whether you're in the big city or the country, whether you're a sophisticated cosmopolitan or a, a backwoods country boy or girl, Trouble follows everyone. Now here's this woman, and God shows up in the person of Jesus Christ to do something, to teach us something about his presence. Now in the Bible, there's a doctrine that we gain from reading the scriptures, especially Psalms like Psalm 139, that teach us about the omnipresence of God. And the omnipresence of God is basically this teaching. There is nowhere, anywhere, where God is not. He is everywhere, present, all the time. So there's no place you can go where he isn't. If you go up to the highest height, if you go up to the sky, if you go down to the deepest pit, if you go down and descend even into the pits of hell, God is there, the psalmist says. God is in every single part of his creation. And the psalmist basically says, that God knows what's happening in every part of his creation, and God, a sovereign God who makes decisions, who is both omnipresent and all-powerful, omnipowerful, all-present, all-powerful, this God knows every single thing that's happening in your life and, in fact, has all of that planned out in the script long before you were ever born. Notice what the psalmist says here in 1 Psalm 139, verse 16. This is taken from the New Living Translation because I like the way it puts it together. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Now notice the next phrase. 
Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Now that is the doctrine of God's omnipotence, his omnipresence, and his sovereignty. That he knows what's happening. He knows what's going to happen. And he knew all of it before a single day was ever started. Now, if all we had as Christians was this doctrine that, doc, that God knows everything and has ordained everything and has decreed everything, that wouldn't bring us much comfort. Because basically, if that's all you have of the teachings of God, you basically have God sitting up in heaven as a cosmic killjoy who's glad that the earth is suffering and is just is glad to bring that kind of grief into your life. That's where you land up if all you have is that God is in control of everything. It leads you to a God who doesn't care. So the story is here for us to understand that while God knows everything, he also cares about everything. Because here's this widow in a nondescript place who's lost everything she's had, and it's to that place that God sends his Messiah. To teach us this key point about that reality, that nothing in life happens by chance. So if you're sitting here this morning and you've had some grief in your life, there's not a single one of us who haven't. If you're here this morning and you've had those things that have entered your life that have brought you pain and sorrow and agony, well, this story is for you. This story is for all of us because there's none of us who escaped this. We can all look at certain parts of our life that have brought us deep pain. Deep, deep pain. And if all we had was, well, God knew it, but God doesn't care about it, that wouldn't be much comfort, and why would we want to be followers of Christ? But the point of the story is that God took Jesus and sent him somewhere special to meet somebody's specific need. Because nothing happens in your life by chance. And Jesus didn't just show up on the road to Nain at the gateway of the funeral just because it just happened to be circumstance. God doesn't work by chance. God works by intention. There's plenty of stories like this in the Bible. Gideon is fighting the big army. And Gideon's trying to find out what's the army like, how big is it. And how hard is it going to be to defeat them? Because I only have 300 soldiers. And he goes into the camp to spy. And when he peeks his ears and his nose into the camp, he just happens to overhear two of the soldiers of this gigantic army. And he could have peeked through the bushes anywhere across the whole army. But where he looks, he hears two soldiers talking about how terrified their army is of the Israelites which then provides him and the rest of his men courage to fight the battle. Did, God just happen, did that just happen, or did God have it arranged that Gideon would poke his nose as a spy into exactly the right place in camp to hear what he needed to hear? The Apostle Paul, there's a plan to kill him because the people hate what he's preaching, and they, they, they scheme an assassination plot against him. And they meet privately, and they all take an oath to kill the Apostle Paul. But what they don't know is sitting in the room quietly listening to everything is Paul's nephew. Loose lips sink ships. You ever hear that? And somebody said something in private that God made sure got shouted on the rooftop. Here's the Israelite leaders over here in a private little room. 
making plans to do their things. And God sends the prophet and he says, hey, dig a hole in that wall right there. When he digs a hole in the wall, he uncovers all the conspiracy of the high leaders trying to ignore the teachings of God. Now, why are those stories there? They're there to tell you that God knows everything. You can't keep a secret from the Almighty. Adam and Eve thought they could hide from God, right? Oh, we've sinned. Let's make some, let's make some fig leaf aprons here to cover ourselves and let's go hide. Were they able to hide from God? You cannot hide from God. In fact, the Bible says God can see right into your heart. And while man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart. So if you think that you're doing something privately, understand nothing is private in God's world. He knows and understands everything, even before it all happened. So if you think you're talking to somebody quietly and it's not going to get to the ears of God, it may not get to the ears of the people that you don't want to have hear it, but if it gets to the ears of God, God can let the people who heard it know, right? Because God is everywhere present at once. He knows our thoughts and he knows all the stuff that happens. So when he sends Jesus here, it doesn't happen by chance. He's trying to show us that he knows what's going on And he's going to do something about it. Now there's a second person here in the story called the widow. Here's what we know about her circumstance. In her circumstance, she has nothing left. Her husband has died previous. Her only son is now also dead. Which means that she is economically broke. She is now going to be homeless and living in poverty without anything. Because in that society... It's not like the government took care of you. It's not like there was any kind of social security program. There were no benefits for dying spouses. There was no, uh, no town council that was going to pass a law to get you money. You were going to be on your own with nothing left because this woman was going to depend upon her son for any income she needed to live. Her husband's gone. Her son's gone. She's going to have nothing to care for her, no money. She'll have no way to be supported. Furthermore than that, the family name is now brought to an end because her son is dead. So she's lost everything monetarily and financially. She's also lost any kind of a legacy. Her losses in the story are immense. She is living a terrible tragedy, and everybody in the town knows it because did you see in the passage it said that everybody in the town was weeping and groaning for her. Why? Because they knew the depths. It wasn't just death robbed her of a son. It's that her life was now totally ruined. And there in that town comes Jesus to talk to a widow because her story is important. In fact, this key point can be gained from her story, that God is not oblivious to our story. That everyone has a story, and that every story matters to God. Do you believe your story matters to God? That's why this story is here. To show you that he knows what's happening in your life. He's not, uh, he's not blind to it, and that your story matters to him. Right? Every story matters to God. Now, it sure is, it sure is tempting to believe that we're living with the pain ourselves, and without God sometimes knowing our sorrow, our grief, our regret, whatever we're carrying. This woman is carrying a lot, and she lives in an out-of-the-way place. 
But where does God have his son go? Directly to her. God knows what you're facing. God sends Jesus to meet what you're facing. That's the point of this story. That Jesus Christ has been sent by God to show us that God cares about us. And not just about us generally, but about us personally. God knows you by name. He says he knows the number of hair on your head. He knows when sparrows move about and twitter and flit around. God knows everything in his world all the time. He is not oblivious to what your story is. And your story might be filled with immense pain. It might be filled with immense grief. It might be filled with immense regret. But here's what you can be sure of if you look to Jesus. God knows your story, and he has sent Jesus to meet it. So let's look at Jesus for a moment. Now, when Jesus shows up, and this is why I wanted to look at these stories, because sometimes we read the story of Jesus, and his actions and words don't match what we sometimes think he should be saying. And here's one of those, areas, this, here's one of those times when Jesus says something that if it were just a normal circumstance or a normal person, we would say, that's a terrible thing to say. Where's the emotional intelligence of Jesus in this story? Because he shows up to town, he sees the woman at the gate where all the business of the town is brought, and everybody's there, everybody knows what's happening, everybody's grieving. And right as Jesus enters the town, the woman comes out with her son on the funeral bier, and they're carrying his body to be buried, and they're all wailing. And just at that moment, just coincidentally at that moment, Jesus happens upon the woman. Think that was a coincidence? No, of course not. Jesus shows up, and when he sees her, he says something that you say, what? He tells the woman to stop crying. That is not a good piece of advice for you or me. Please don't do that when you see somebody crying. Please don't tell them to stop. Because when grief enters our life, when pain enters our life, and when the emotions become overwhelming, we need to cry. If any woman in the whole world had a reason to cry, it was this one. Would you not agree? She's widowed and her, her son's gone. She's got nothing. She's completely destitute. Jesus shows up and he says, stop crying, come on. We don't expect a holy man and a rabbi to talk to somebody grieving like that. We normally kind of hear them say, I'm so sorry for your loss. I'm praying for you. We're here to support you. Just know that we're here. You know, that's the kind of thing you expect, right? That's the kind of thing that's needed. But here, here there's different words. When Jesus shows up here, he says, stop it. Hmm. Now, it's not because he was mean and angry and she was in his way. <sighs> Have you ever gotten stuck in a funeral parade at the end? Right? You need to get somewhere and there's 100 cars in front of you. And, and you say, like, oh, I'm going to wait, but boy, I really need to get somewhere. Well, was Jesus mad because she was interrupting his plans? No, no, it says he wasn't mad at all. So why did he tell her to stop it if he's not mad? Well, verse 13 says, look, his heart went out to her. Well, if his heart went out to her, why did he say stop grieving, stop crying? Because unlike you or me, he has something that he can do in his power that you and I cannot. He has the power to do something that will intervene to change the grief. 
right? In fact, the Bible tells all of those who know Christ that their grief in times of loss should not be the same as the world. Why? Because of the next actions Jesus is going to take. And what is the next action that he takes? He does the miracle next. He shows up, and and remember, in his day, to touch a dead body or to even get close to it is to bring uh, uncleanness upon yourself or defilement. They generally tried to stay away from dead bodies. But Jesus walks right up to this boy who's laying on this funeral bier, and he says this. He says, get up, get up. And it says that that the man got up, and everybody rejoiced. Well, the reason Jesus could stop crying is because of all the people who've ever lived. Only Jesus has the power to raise the dead. And what he doesn't want is for people who've lost and are grieving to grieve like the rest of the world that doesn't have any hope. Jesus has shown up, and now there's hope. So quit grieving the same way the world without Christ grieves. It's okay to grieve, but Jesus isn't done yet. Right? Jesus isn't done yet. And when he's finished with what he says, it says there very clearly, he takes the man and he gives him back to his mom. Now the story is put here by Luke because in the Old Testament there are great prophets who raise widows' sons from the dead and Luke is trying to show that this is another prophet like that, although he's more. This prophet, like Elijah, also can bring the dead children back to life. And just like those prophets in the Old Testament, once they're raised, here's what he does. He hands them back to their family because you know what part of conquering death is the reunion that you have with the people you loved and here's the story quit crying I have control over death here's your son when Lazarus is brought forth from the grave what's it say Jesus restored him to his sisters I don't know what your family's like or who you've lost or whom you may have grieved over in the past, but here's what I know about Jesus. Jesus desires to restore dead people. That's why he came. You know, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the firstborn from the dead, but he's the firstborn among many brothers and sisters, which means that every single person who follows him, everyone who's put their trust in him, will experience the same kind of transformation from the grave that Jesus Christ had. We are all going to rise up someday from the dead, just like this dead uh, man of this widow, right? That's our hope. Just like Jesus said to this man on the bier, get up. There's a day coming in your life if you've given your life to Christ, and if you've followed Christ, that Jesus is going to show up to your grave, and he's going to call you by name, and he's going to say, get up. Right? And isn't that our hope? Our hope is that this Jesus, who raised the widow's son, is the same Jesus who's going to raise me and you. Remember what the angels say to the women when they come to the empty tomb? They use this little phrase, and I love this phrase. This same Jesus, whenever they're standing looking up at Jesus going into the heavens, 
they say to the, to the disciples who are looking up as Jesus is ascending into heaven, and they say to the disciples, this same Jesus. You see, this Jesus in the story is your Jesus. This Jesus who shows up in this widow's life at this critical time and raises her son is the same Jesus who's going to show up in your life and raise you and the family of people who are with him that you loved. And he is going to reunite you with them just like he reunited this widow with her son. Now, he did this in real time. There wasn't much of a delay between the death of her son and the restoration of her son. For you and I, it's been perhaps many years It might be many years more before we have that reunion with the people that we love. But Jesus restores dead people. He brings them back to life. And he himself has conquered death. And that's why the story of the crowd shows up. This fourth group of persons in this story. And what are they there for? Well, here's what they recognize. They recognize Jesus is this incredible prophet. He's just like the guys we read about in the Old Testament. And, and wow, isn't that amazing? And they blessed the Lord and gave him praise. And yet the story is situated in such a place as to help us understand that the crowd underestimated who Jesus was. You see, they thought he was going to be and was just like the old time prophets. But they had failed to remember what their scriptures taught them which was that a greater prophet would come and that that prophet would bring life and that he would create a whole new journey for the people of God. In fact, they've forgotten these words from Isaiah 53, 4. Look at them with me. Isaiah writes, many, many hundreds of years before Jesus comes, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. You think about him with the widow. What did he do? He took up her pain. Now, the pain she experienced in the death of her son is real because all of us experienced the pain of sin and death. Sin entered the world and death through sin. And so death is the reality that all human beings face. But Jesus Christ came to raise the dead. And in order to raise the dead, he had to conquer the thing that causes death, which is sin. And so the Bible says that he came to bear our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by God, and afflicted. The people of Jesus' day, as this next verse shows, couldn't figure out why such a great prophet was killed. What a tragedy that Jesus, this great prophet who raised sons from the dead, was killed himself. Here's how they interpreted it. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. Now there's the interpretation of the death of Jesus Christ. And you realize, right, that life is not only about what you experience. Life is also about how you interpret the experience. In fact, the way you interpret your experiences matter almost more than the experiences themselves. Right? Sometimes two people experience the same thing and have extremely different results because their interpretations of the experience differ. Let's use a dumb illustration. You go to a ball game, one team wins, one team loses, right? The experiences are different and the interpretation of the experiences are different. One fan whose team loses thinks all is lost. Another fan thinks, well, we still have time to win. 
Another fan says, fire the coach. Another fan says, ask the stupid players. Right? The experience is the same. Your team lost. But your interpretation of the experience of why is very different. Right? And so I would say that this story is put here to help you interpret your God correctly when he gives you experiences of grief and pain. It's not that he's forgotten. It's not that he doesn't care. His whole work in coming was to conquer the thing that causes this experience for all of us. We all have grief, we all have sin, and we all have death. And Jesus Christ came to fix the problem at the root And while the people of his generation thought he was oppressed and they couldn't figure out why, the Bible tells us why he was oppressed, because he bore our sin and he conquered death, which sin causes, and he rose from the dead so that he could promise that resurrection to every one of us. You see, it's not only the widow who gets her son back. It's every person who trusts in the Lord Jesus who Christ has come into, who gets their loved ones back if they trust Christ as well. The people here say in this fourth part, God has come to look after his people. Do you believe all of this? Do you believe that God knows everything that's happening and that nothing in your life happens by chance? Oh, you've made a choice. That doesn't thwart the purposes of God. Jacob made a choice that he was going to go down into Egypt and flee from Esau. God still accomplished everything he wanted to accomplish through Jacob, even though Jacob's choice took him all around Robin Hood's barn. At the end, he ended up exactly where God wanted him to. And so there's things that are happening in your life, and you think, these things happened by chance, or why did they happen? And I can assure you that God is not unaware of them, and God understands what he's doing and allowing it to happen if it's come into your life. God has come to look after his people, but do you believe that God knows what's happening in your life? Do you believe that he's come to correct it? And do you believe that you don't have to grieve about your situation without hope because Jesus Christ came to be the one who made things right? Now, if we believe that God knows everything and that God has done everything, there was a day in life, somewhere in eternity, where God decided to grant to mankind freedom of choice. Because God is God, God knew that the choice would be wrong. Why did God allow the choice to go wrong if God knew it would bring pain and suffering and death and tragedy? Because he had to give dignity to his creatures. And yet God knows everything that's going to happen. So how did God manage to address this without being viewed as this great God who simply wants to bring pain to people's lives. Here's how he did it. He allowed people to make a choice, and then he entered into their experience as a human being to live in a place of pain, in a place of grief, in a place of sorrow, in order to conquer the bad choice that was made at the fall of humanity. That's a God of love. He's given you your dignity by allowing you to have a choice. And he's given you a savior to rescue when you've made bad ones. The Bible says that Jesus Christ was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Why? Because God is not about 
to allow his great creation, the greatest achievement that he has in human beings. And he is not about to let your bad choices dictate the righteousness and justice and goodness of his creation. And so when our bad choices have ruined the things that God had wanted for us, God sent his son to live out a human life, to experience the suffering that our bad choices make, and to bring salvation and correction to the things that we messed up. That's what the story is about. Jesus knows what you're in. He knows what you're facing. He came to fix it and to correct it because he's a God of love who wants a kingdom of righteousness. And when we don't get it right, he came so that it would be made right. Now that's a tragic story that's filled with joy because the ending of the story is not pain and death and suffering. The end of, this, uh, the, end of the story is resurrection and life. This, dear friend, is the Jesus that you worship. This is the one who gives you hope in the midst of a wicked and suffering world. And this is the one whom the Bible tells you to fix your eyes upon because he doesn't show up into your life accidentally. He knows what's happening. He offers you his love and he invites you to take his hand as you walk through the grief you have until the day when he makes things right. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Please increase the faith of your people. Please meet the sorrow of our heart with the comfort of your word. Please meet the pain in our life with the hope of resurrection life. Please cause us to measure life properly, not to place all of our hope and trust and all of our eggs in a basket in a world that is filled with fallenness. Instead, O oh God, may we be able to focus our eyes on Jesus and see what's beyond. May that faith bring us comfort. May the Holy Spirit salve and comfort fill our life as we see that Jesus is sent to the needy wherever they may be and in whatever state they find themselves in. Jesus, come to us. Meet us. Speak your words to us. And give us the faith to believe. I pray it in your name. Amen. Hosting for this podcast has been brought to you by Anchor from Spotify. Our intro and outro song is Creative Mind by Ben Sound. From all of us here at Grace Church, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.